This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra-stylish, premium-quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin 1 expandable backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin 1 is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code RNRTAKE30. That's RNRTAKE30 at TaskinSF.com. Next up on an all new Rick and Rick. And a rebrand fix Facebook's reputation problem. Does SEM really drive results? Airbnb rents out the Scream House for Halloween. Spooky. Plus DC fandom sparks controversy, this week's loaded questions, and a whole lot more. And it all starts right here, right now. On the one show where everybody loves to go Rick or treating. And everybody rules the world. Hey everybody, welcome one and all to an all new episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World. I'm Rick Matheson and I am joined as always by my good friend Freddy Krueger. I mean Rick Wooden. How you doing Rick? I'm good, I'm good. How you doing? Good. You know, we, we've been having crazy weather. Remember a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how hot it was here. <laughs> this last couple of days, it has been pouring rain. A bunch of uh, cities here in the Bay Area had over five inches of rain in a 24-hour uh, period of time. Yeah. I figured I must have just jinxed it by even bringing that topic up last episode. Because I was talking about, oh, September and October here in California, it's some of our best weather. People are out by the pools. And then we're slammed by this atmospheric river of epic proportions. You know, I, I, I was just thinking about this the other day. And it seems like about every 20 years, we have something like this. So my, my ex and I bought a house in 2004. And the rain came down so hard that year that it flooded the entire street. I mean, like within a foot of the the foundation of the house. And we're like, oh, my God, like, what did we get ourselves into? So, you know, fast forward, you know, 10, 20 years. And, you know, here we are again. You know, we have this crazy storm that comes through. We need water, but not that much water. What everybody was ready for is a concert. And you went to one. In yes. Vegas. You know, I was uh, I was really stoked about this. So, you know, dating myself a little bit, I was a big Billy Idol fan growing up. And, you know, I never got to see them, you know, all the way through high school, all the way through college, all the way through adult life. I uh, never had an opportunity to see Billy Idol. I was really bummed about that. And, you know, at some point he, he really wasn't performing anymore. Well, like the rest of us, he got bored in COVID. So instead of making sourdough starter or, you know, whatever, he uh, he did a new album. And so he started touring. And so I, I, I took the risk. I'm like, you know what? I, I don't want to make uh, seeing him again. And so I, I went out to Vegas and I, I saw him perform. It was absolutely fantastic. But here's the funny thing. I realized that I am definitely the same age as his fans. As I was walking in, they had all these tables lined up where people had shown up like a half hour ahead of time, you know, kind of tailgating, if you will. And so, you know, there's tons of drinks everywhere. But like every 10 feet or so, there's like a container of Rolaids or, you know, <laughs> some Tums or some antacids. Oh I'm like, God. yeah, this is my people. These are the old people. <laughs> <laughs> and then I get into the venue, and unlike you know, if you go to a concert, it's primarily young people, you know, like you know, nobody's wearing masks. We're all we're all 40, 50 years old, man. We're all wearing masks. They're like hand sanitizing stations everywhere. But anyways, he as a 65-year-old man, man, he put on an amazing show. He had he had the moves, oh, he had awesome. the stage presence, he had the ability to, you know, throw his voice, and he just did an amazing job. So it was a it was a great show to go to. Yeah, you think about that. So Mick Jagger is pushing. 80. And Keith Richards still being alive, maybe he's undead at this point. (laughs) 
I don't know, but I think we need to go figure out what's in his blood, and that's our COVID vaccine. Because I'm telling you, what I, I have no idea how that happens. That's insane. You know, good for them. Like you said, you know, Billy Idol just sitting around, nothing's going on, and he said, you know what, I'm going to go tour. Why not? Why not? And by the way, Billy Idol took his shirt off, and the dude was in better shape than I am. I'm he's 15 years my seat. He was like amazing up there. That's just incredible. We all got to kick up our rebel yell like Billy. Uh, what we also need to kick up is all the news and views from the worlds of marketing, media, tech, and pop culture that we have on tap for listeners this week, starting with DC Fando, held Saturday, October 16th. For listeners who aren't familiar with it, it's kind of like a virtual version of Comic-Con if Comic-Con was devoted exclusively to DC properties. So if you're a DC fan like me, this is like birthday and Christmas all rolled up into one. This was a four-hour streamed event, and it featured all the news on upcoming comic books, movies, TV. One of the big highlights was we got the first official view of The Rock's upcoming movie, Black Adam. This is Shazam's greatest enemy. I believe this will serve as kind of a lead-up to Shazam, Fury of the Gods. From this trailer, it looks to feature a Hawkman and Dr. Fate and and other heroes from the Justice Society of America, which was kind of a precursor to the Justice League. There was a behind-the-scenes look from Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. There was a new trailer for Matt Reeves' The Batman. It stars Robert Pattinson as Batman. What I've heard, people are saying, it is gritty. And it looks it from this this trailer, but it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, you mentioned this to me the other day, and I actually took the time today to, to go track down the trailer and watch it. Wow, I was impressed. This actually looks really good. And correct me if I'm wrong, and I even hate to say this out loud it was this the shiny vampire playing batman yes the vampire turned into a bat i know i hate to say it but he did a really good job i i from the part that i saw it was like you said it was every bit as gritty and raw and like it it, it was dark it was a dark night it was amazing yeah what cracked me up and talk about moving fast. So James Gunn and John Senna from the Suicide Squad, they have a new show hitting HBO Max in January featuring Santa's Peacemaker character from uh, from the Suicide Squad. I would be cool if it was Peacemaker and King Shark. That would be fun too. But this looks fun. Now, for all of this news, the two things that got the most buzz was two announcements involving Superman. So one was that Superman's official new motto is moved from truth, justice, and the American way to truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. And that sparked a, a lot of conversation. Oh, yeah. I personally am big on truth, justice, and the American way, uh, but I also like truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. But the other big news that came and sort of eclipsed that first bit was the news that Superman has come out as bisexual. And this broke the internet for at least a couple of hours. Right. One comment on Twitter said, uh, no, Superman is 100% straight. He's not bisexual. He's in love with Lois Lane, period. Problem being that this person misspelled it as Lewis Lane. And so it created a, a bit of a confusing message there. The person was reacting without even knowing anything about what they were talking about. Because in this case, yes, Superman loves Lois Lane because Lois Lane is his mother. This is not Clark Kent who is coming out as bisexual. It is the son of Clark Kent and Lois Lane. So longtime listener Paul sent me an article that they were saying that it's basically it's the liberal media shoving 
shoving the LGBTQ agenda down people's throats, blah, blah, blah. Of course, it's ridiculous. Even if the creators here had some kind of agenda, even if everyone on the staff of DC Comics was part of a secret cabal to push some kind of LGBTQ agenda down everyone's throat, it wouldn't matter. Warner Brothers could care less. Their only agenda is selling you what you want to consume. And so if this works, they'll keep it going. If it drops in sales, they'll end it. But you and I were talking about this yesterday. It still feels like, God, there's a lot of characters recently that they've been announcing. Tim Drake, Robin of Batman and Robin, um, Batwoman. Then it hit me. When I was a kid, during recess, you'd all play superheroes. And my friends at school, some whites, some more blacks, some more Hispanics. And I remember this, a girl sitting in front of me in class and turning around. She said, why are all the super friends white? And it was one of those things where it's like a sledgehammer right, you know, right in your forehead because it had never occurred to me. Super friends did start introducing minority characters, but they always felt tacked on. And it's only been in the last decade where there's a much more diverse cast of characters in DC Comics, whereas by comparison, Marvel started to telling the stories of Black characters, their struggles and their heroism in the mid-60s during the civil rights movement when that was actually a bold publishing decision. And in LGBTQ, you know, the X-Men. I, I didn't read X-Men, so I don't know if it was overtly that there were LGBT characters, but I think even when we were teenagers, we kind of understood that that was a story that was about one thing on the surface, but it was really about LGBT kids growing up in a society where they were different. So Don Ami, oh, Right. I'm asking the wrong question. Why are they coming out with all these LGBT characters? The real question is, why weren't they always this way? Just like Black kids, just like other kids who wanted to see themselves in these characters. If you're talking about one in 10 people, you know, that five to 10% of population who clearly understands that they are LGBTQ, one in 10 readers are in that group at least. So why wouldn't you have had at least 10% of the main characters fall into that category and have it reflect the people that you're selling books to? So it is just Warner Brothers, just DC selling, let's sell some books. But somewhere recently, they must have done research where they recognized, we're way behind, so let's let's pick up the, the pace here. To you and me, it seems like a atmospheric river of announcements like this recently, but in reality, it's big catch-up time. You know, I, I don't think you're quite giving DC enough credit. As you well know, and there's a comics code, well, there used to be, and for a very long time, LGBTQ was not something that the code allowed for. That actually changed in 1989. And both on the DC and the Marvel side, both of them came out with characters that identified as something other than binary. And so I think the one in DC was Maggie Sawyer. I think she was a like a crime specialist or Superman or something like that. And, and so like there was that. And, and then within the Marvel universe, there is a mystique. So there have been these ones throughout the years. But I think the point that you're making and the point that I agree with is it kind of was there for a little bit, but then it went back into the background again. And we really just, you know, it hasn't really been front and center for that much. And this is a time where we're kind of readdressing our biases and, you know, making sure that we're inclusive. I think that's why a lot of this comes out. And if any of these characters coming out in that vein, I'm, I'm hugely supportive of it. The thing that I'm not supportive of is where they're trying to bring something out just so they can check a box or just so they yeah. can draw attention to themselves or just so they can sell more books. Yeah. And I don't feel good about that. I mean, the, you know, we're talking about a class of people who have had to hide who they are and haven't been treated with uh, you know, with embrace. And, you know, here we are in a time now where we're kind of changing that. So I want, I want everything to be authentic. And maybe that's asking too much. But a few of these, they just, they just don't feel authentic. And it feels like it's forced. And, you know, maybe, maybe I'm being too critical of the comic, but I want it to be legitimate. I want to, you know, pay homage to the, to the people that are going through this. 
Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And you're absolutely right. The comics code was in place and these things were kind of verboten. So fair point. They didn't really have the option of talking about a lot of things. And in fact, it was hugely controversial when they did a story on drugs with Marvel again being the first to do it and DC following suit. Outside looking in because I'm not following the comics, it seems like they're coming out of nowhere. Now, if it was meant to boost sales, it certainly has. The announcement where he decides he's going to explore this part of himself is issue five. And it, I believe it's the November issue comic is called Superman, Son of Kal-El. It has far outsold issue number one. That doesn't happen. You don't have issue number five outsell issue number one. So if they were trying to boost sales, it was an enormous success. All right. Well, uh, when we come back, we are going to be talking about the good, the bad, and the marketing. So don't go anywhere. Hey, Rick and Rick Nation, don't forget to check out our website at rickandrick.com. It's double the Rick in just one click at rickandrick.com. All right. Welcome back to Rick and Rick Rule the World. Rick Matheson and Rick Wooten. As we are recording this show, there is scuttlebutt that this week there may be an announcement that Facebook Inc. is going to rebrand this entity. A lot of people are commenting on this, Rick, and wondering, you know, is this some kind of attempt to fix Facebook's reputation, sort of soiled reputation of, of late in terms of the extent to which misinformation or disinformation spreads on the platform and questions about how much the company's really trying to do something about it. The scuttlebutt anyway is potentially the name of the new entity, could be Metaverse. And even if it is not, that that seems to be the thrust that this new entity is going to be pursuing. I think I think that is definitely in there. And I think that's, you know, part of what Zuckerberg's trying to accomplish. We know that Zuckerberg is a big fan of Snow Crash and, you know, the Metaverse is, is you know, per, obviously a part of that. There's a number of things that kind of, you know, circle around this idea of virtual reality world and how we interact with it and how society gets built around it. Zuckerberg is inspired by how Google's gone and created Alphabet, which allowed them to kind of, you know, separate the business into multiple parts and deal with them independently. And, you know, sure, there's some some branding benefits to that because now he doesn't have to answer all the questions, you know, about what one business is doing when he's talking about another. Yeah, no, that is for sure. This is actually a smart move for him to create a separate entity that encompasses all of these different units, whether or not they're all interconnected. I think the reason people have gone down that path is just because of the name Metaverse. And you can see where the different pieces, different properties that Facebook has can feed this idea of this sort of pervasive virtual slash AR experience uh, game overlay of the physical world. If he's pursuing some kind of metaverse strategy, it seems like Oculus is going to be as much at the center of that as potentially Facebook. Absolutely. I mean, Oculus becomes the interface for all that, right? It becomes the way that people interact with it. And, and, you know, especially now that they've, they've got these devices, the Quest, the Quest 2, that, you know, are kind of reasonably priced. They're, they're a lot cheaper than a PC. And there's, it feels like, and, and I don't know this for sure, but it feels like they're, they're really starting to gain traction. Um, I, yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's a possibility. It'll be exciting to see where that goes. All right. As you pose this question, does SEM really drive results? Yeah. You know, this is a longtime listener, Scott, you know, somebody we, we both know well has actually been asking this question for a while. And uh, he actually took to another podcast and talked about this recently. And his, his point of view is kind of interesting. Uh, it, it's in contrast to mine and he does not feel like the search engine marketing really generates any measurable leads and that. It's, uh, 
it's more noise than anything else. And there's other aspects that are better to try. And I get his point of view and I challenged him a bit. And I, in fact, I've, I've asked him to, to do a show with me and he's agreed to kind of talk this through. But what I really think is happening is he's looking at it from the point of view of a, you know, one size of a company. And I think the value of SEM changes over the time of, of, of a company but we have like this chasm in the middle where maybe SEM isn't as beneficial if the, you know, or there's like a very limited way that it can be done right. You know, when you're really small, you know, SEM has a big impact. You know, you do some competitive stuff, you do things like that, you can pay per click and it has a big impact. When you get really large, you have the infrastructure and the capability to do targeting and lookalike and things like that. But when you're in between the two of those, you don't have so little marketing that like it makes a big impact and you don't have the tools and the technology and the, and you know, the staff to be able to do it. And so you end up in this, this chasm. And I think a, a lot of companies that end up in that see it and they, they don't feel like it's a value because they, they can't quite get on either side of it. And I think there's a way to do it. And that's something that, that I'd love to explore with them. What, your thought on this? When you told me this, I was surprised that Scott had this point of view, only because I never hear anybody say that. And it's how I have felt for a number of years now. So I have to fall into Scott's camp on this. Whether it's B2C or B2B, whether it's small organization to a global publicly traded enterprise, I am shocked at how poorly SEM performs relative to other channels. Now, is it worthless? No, I'm not saying that. The pros of SEM are, look, you're targeting by interests. You know, if someone's looking for a price on X computer, they're already on their way to placing a purchase versus sort of interrupting while someone is looking at recipes or something. It is good for buying your competitor's name in targeted search, especially, like you said, when you're a small organization to get that share of voice when you don't have search rankings yet to fully compete with them. And building site authority. My understanding is that the Google algorithm, at least in part, does factor in whether or not there is search engine marketing associated with that website. It's saying essentially to the algorithm, this is a real organization and they're putting money behind pointing people to this site. But when I look at the traffic, SEM is great for generating traffic. The problem is the traffic's all crap. The bounce rates are just outrageously high, 80% you know, and higher. Time on site or page is measured in seconds instead of other channels that might get minutes, even tens of minutes. Filling out lead forms or downloading an asset or placing a purchase, not even close. Whatever the platform, if it's search or, or social, you have to keep refining your targeting to get better and better and create a more efficient buy. It just seems a lot easier in channels like paid social versus paid search. In B2C and B2B, the quality of the audience is and your ability to target faster, and certainly for things like ABM, is much better in my view and what I have seen across clients. And it's client after client after client, like I said, every size of organization. Let's, let's definitely circle back to this one after uh, after I get a chance to interview them. Yeah, I can't wait to hear that. Some Airbnb rents out the Scream House for Halloween. Ooh, people will eat that up. Oh, yeah. What they did is they went back in time and there was a movie called Scream uh, and there was a house associated with it. And so somehow they convinced the homeowner to allow them to rent out the house for two days. And they actually got one of the stars of the movie to participate in this, which I, I thought was pretty cool. So David Arquette, one of the characters from the show, is actually going to be uh, in the house with you. They're renting it out for one night. But I thought this was an amazing idea. You know, go to rent out one of these houses, you know, get one of the 
the actors, you know, showcase kind of the whole thing. Just get people excited and talking about Airbnb again. So what you're saying is at least the exterior of this house, maybe the whole house was used in the filming. And now fans are going to be able to go into this house, spend the night, and one of the characters will be in the stay. That That is a fantastic idea. I love that. Yes. Oh, by the way, I, I, I don't know if I said this, but uh, and, and I, I hadn't realized this, but the Scream House is right here. It's in Marin. Really? I didn't know that. I just assumed it was down in L.A. That's cool. What a great idea. Yeah. When we come back on the other side of this break, it's going to be time to play Loaded Questions. You do not want to miss it, so stay tuned. This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra stylish premium quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin One expandable backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin One is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code RNRTake30. That's RNRTake30 at TaskinSF.com. All right, welcome back to Rick and Rick Rule the World. Rick Matheson and Rick Wooten, and it is time to play Loaded Questions. I am ready. Let's do this thing. Question number one. So according to Gartner's list of top tech trends for 2022, CX will converge with EX, UX, and MX to become something called A, RX, B, TX, C, XX, or D, Metaverse, according to Gardner, <laughs> CX, EX, UX, and MX are set to converge into which of these in 2022? You know, I think uh, I think I, I'm going to have to go with RX. You know, Nvidia released new graphics cards this year called the RX. I, I think I think they they must be following suit with that. Makes sense. You know, it is actually in this instance B TX. So as reported, Ooh. yes, so it could have been any of these except Metaverse. So answer is B, TX, and as reported by VentureBeat. So Gartner's list of top tech trends for 2022 includes this convergence of customer experience or CX, employee experience or EX, user experience or UX, and even multi-experience MX into an overarching model called total experience or TX that quote drives confidence and satisfaction across all stakeholders end quote sounds a little like BX to me no, it sounds like a buzzy uh, <laughs> acronym in search of an actual meaning in this case but uh, but we'll see for question two which of these is not one of Gartner's top tech trends for 2022 a regenerative AI B decision intelligence C composable applications or D data fabrics which of these is not one of Gartner's top tech trends for 2022? Mm, I think I don't think I've heard regenerative AI before, so I'm going to choose that one. You are correct. A, regenerative AI. Instead, there is something called generative AI, which VentureBeat says would be distinguished from the broader realm of AI by its use of machine learning and other tools to first form an understanding of contents or objects and then generate all new artifacts based on that understanding. Gartner expects GAI, this generative AI, to bolster activities as wide-ranging as software development, things like drug creation and targeted marketing. Apparently, this is a thing, but right now it's it's less than 1% of all produced data. According to Gartner, that could climb to 10% of all generated data by 2025. Okay, so final question this week. Which of these actors is said to be in final negotiations to play Ken in a new Barbie movie? A, Ryan Reynolds, B, Justin Hartley, C, Daniel Craig, 
or D, Ryan Gosling? Which of these actors is said to be in final negotiations to play Ken in a new Barbie movie that no one was looking for? As much as I would like it to be Ryan Reynolds, I, it's Gosling. It, Gosling is the one that's doing you it. You are correct. The answer is D, Ryan Gosling. And yeah, I didn't think about that when I formed the question. How much better would it be if it was Ryan Reynolds's Ken? <laughs> That's the answer, Hollywood. That would be so awesome. Yes, whoever's doing this movie. No offense to Ryan Gosling. It just changes the whole tenor of the thing if it's Ryan Reynolds. All right. Well, that is going to start to wrap it up here this week for Rick and Rick Rule the World. But one last data point. This year, the National Retail Federation predicts consumer spending on Halloween-related items will reach an all-time high of $10.14 billion. It's $102.74 per person versus $92.12 in 2020. In fact, Rick, I read that Home Depot and a couple of others launched some very popular Halloween decorations early. They sold out of them in August. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I, I think I think we talked about this uh, another point, but uh, you know every every year Home Depot comes out with these crazy giant like spiders yeah. or snowmen or whatever, and they sell out immediately every single year. Yeah, uh, and this year has been no exception, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, how many people out there want to buy a six hundred dollar giant spider? Apparently, the yeah. answer is a lot because uh, <laughs> they sell out of them. Anyway, before we leave here, Rick, why don't you share where you can be found online? You can always find me online on Twitter. I'm at Wooten, W-O-O-T-T-E-N. What about yourself, Rick? You can find me at Rick Matheson on Twitter. And of course, you can find all of our social profiles and listen to archived episodes at rickandrick.com. Until next time, stay safe, keep each other safe, and keep on coming back to the one show where everybody's name is Rick. And everybody rules the world. 